I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Hornady Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Seth Swerzik, and a special episode for you today. Joining me at the table to my left, Vice President Jason Hornady. Jason, thanks for coming on the yep. show. Happy to be here. And I said kind of a special episode because we've got a special guest. We do. And it's a, a legend within the industry, uh, certainly you know a firm, former employee and uh, personal mentor of yours. So please help me in welcoming Kenny Berger to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Ken. We're, we're looking forward to it. We've heard a lot of stories internally about uh, Jason and about you, and uh, just appreciate you coming on. Well, it's fun to be here. I, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Give you a little background on Kenny. Kenny started a rep group called Sportco Marketing. Before that, he worked for one called JL Trebu. And a lot of people don't understand that most of the companies in the industry use independent sales reps, and, and they'll each have a territory. And Ken was part of one of the super groups, and um, they had a whole bunch of different lines. So they don't just represent Hornady, but they had Shimano, and they had Bushnell, and Nikon, and I think you had Igloo for the country at one point had in Igloo, time. Had Igloo, had Plano. Plano. Oh, wow. And uh, he's also... Thompson Center. Yeah. Dan Weston, Charter Arms. I bet you can keep going for <laughs> probably 100 <laughs> lines. And before that, he was a, one of the long-term guys at Remington. So there's a whole bunch of these guys in the industry that came out of the Remington days. But Ken also taught me how to shoot a shotgun and, and how to sell stuff. And I worked for him for five years and it was a great education. And I still call him when, when I need help. Awesome. So yeah, what a, what a great mentor to have. And I think that's uh, going to be a, a good point to talk about is what sales and how distribution works. You know, a lot of uh, end users, consumers, they'll go to a store they see Hornady ammo on the shelf and they buy the ammo, but they don't understand what takes it from us as the manufacturer to that store shelf. So explaining that and explaining what that looks like is going to be great. But before we get there, we got to know a little bit more about you, Ken. So let's rewind the clocks to kind of where you grew up, what you were doing well, growing I, up. Well, I grew up in Connecticut and a lot of, uh, I had some relatives, et cetera, that worked for Remington Arms Company. And ever since I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to do was hunting fish, really. And uh, I guess I started, I used to hunt uh, uh, blackbirds and sparrows with a, a daisy air rifle. And there's an interesting story that the, of when I was 12 years old, my grandfather lived next door to us. We all, family old, kind of a family complex that was in Connecticut. And my family got out of the dairy business. And uh, uh, my grandfather at that time was an old fellow, and he used to sit on the porch over there. And every day I'd go over to see him. And I went over there one day when I go home from school, and he says, uh, did you ever shoot a shotgun? And I said, no. And he said, well, here, I want you to shoot this. And he had an old Hopkins and Allen uh, falling block shotgun that was the farm gun my father remembers when it was there when he was born. And so he got out a shell and put a piece of board up against a tree, and I shot at it. And he says, oh, he says, that's good. He says, now gave me a handful of shells, and he says, I want you to get down over back and sit on a stone wall, and when a squirrel comes along, kill it for me. So, boy, th that was my, my introduction to hunting. All right. So I started, and I went down, and I did. I, I killed a squirrel or two until 
uh, somebody told my father about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the end of that. My father raised raised the devil about it, about him, and that was the end of my my hunting. With that interesting antidote to that is probably after my grandfather died. He died in 1960, 1953, and that old gun that was laying around the farm for years and years that had a homemade stock on it, etc., was in the farmhouse over there. And when I was working for Remington, I was down to visit my folks one day next door, and the uncle, they were painting the house, and they found that old gun, and they brought it over and gave it to me, and I still have that home hanging in my office. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, but that was my introduction to hunting. But then uh, uh, as time went on, I started hunting by myself, and that's what I wanted to do. And uh, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out of high school. Uh, first of all, I thought I was going to be a baseball player, but I got shot in a hunting accident oh. uh, when I was about uh, 18, and that messed me up for, oh, six months a year. My father finally said, you got to go to work. So I went to work with an owning company. And I didn't want any part of that. And at the same time, I had an uncle who went, who ran the old Lordship Gun Club at Lordship, and he got me introduced to shooting trap and skeet. And, and that's what I started to shoot. I could shoot out there those days for 25 cents around targets and shells. Oh, when wow. he said, yeah, 25 yeah. cents around, he means the whole yeah, round. Yeah, the whole yeah. round. <laughs> they were, they, for we shot and shells. slightly imperfect shells, but that was, that was the way it was. And, you know, and that was, that was my introduction to shooting sporting clays and shooting, shooting, shooting clays, period. And from there on, I didn't know what I was going to do. And this job at the owning company, I hated. I said, I got to go to school. I wasn't a very good student, really. Well, I didn't, maybe didn't apply myself, but had, <laughs> had a strong back. And I decided I'd go to a gunsmithing school in Trinidad, Colorado. Oh, yeah? The so I went to Colorado school. in 1955, I think. 1955. And uh, went, went through there, and I played baseball down there. And uh, when I graduated from there, I went to the University of Northern Colorado to play baseball. And I used to go, summers I used to spend my time in Newcastle, Wyoming playing baseball, they used to take us up there and supposedly give us jobs to do, and we'd play baseball four or five nights a week. And it was, was a lot of, got made, you know, pretty good money, et cetera, for, for doing that. And then when I left there, uh, I got married when I the senior year in, in college, and uh, uh, then I got drafted. Went in the Army, spent two and a half years in the Army, went, did, went to all the schools I could, uh, went to jump school, uh, Pathfinder school, uh, everything you can think of. I graduated from OCS and went to the uh, 101st Airborne in Fort Campbell. We were the liaison group attached to the division. And uh, I got out of there finally, and uh, on my way, went home and went to work for Remington. Remington shipped me to Ilion. And I was up there, worked for them there for two and a half years, and I had great hunting and fishing up there. I liked that, but I wanted out of the out of out in the field. I didn't want so because I was a shooter. Uh, they transferred me to the marketing department and sent me in as a field rep in Ohio. 
and that's where I really started in in the, in the business, the sales business, etc. And uh, I worked at that for a number of years, and all of a sudden I realized uh, it didn't financially it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> and <laughs> one uh, way to put it, yeah, that you know, and I had a uh, made friends with a, a rep that was there. And he only had a two-man group, and he wanted me. He wanted to get into the fall business, and he so he hired me. And I left yeah. Remington in in '69 of 19, 1969 in August, and uh, went on worked for them for 22 years, and uh, finally things got out of hand a little bit, and uh, uh, got together with a couple of other fellows, and we formed our own rep group, and Hornady. Gave us the line, and well, we got several other lines, but uh, uh, and here we are today. And then uh, Jason, where did Jason come in? <laughs> well, I used to come out here and hunt quail and pheasants. I don't remember what year it was. Do you remember what year that was? We went hunting up. I wasn't. I wasn't there when you guys got it. I yes, you were. Was I? Yeah. Well, that had to be that had to be in the eighties. You were you were still in college. Yeah, so that would have been late eighties. Late eighties, and we we stopped in a we stopped in a bar for lunch and we talked to the people, and it was, and we went we were hunting out with Doug Derner, and at that time, I realized and listened to Jason. I hadn't really been around Jason for a long time, but Jason was one of those people who could uh, get conversation out of a telegraph pole. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of guy. Uh, we we'd like to have. I'd like to have. So it went on, and and I understood that Jason was graduating from college, and uh, I called him up. And uh, I I don't know if he's very surprised or not, and asked him if he wanted a job. And uh, came to work for us. I was surprised. Yeah, and and excited. And, and jobs weren't that easy to come by. At the right. Time. Yeah. But you get graduate college, you think you got to do some legwork. You got to do and, something. And, and it was it was a good time though. Jason Jason came and oh, we had a great and time. Uh, uh, stayed with uh, my wife and I for a little while while he got settled and found a place to live, et cetera. And there's some other stories that can we won't get into that. But uh, 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 it was good all along the way, and and uh, uh, here we are. Right now with Hornady, and I remember the first day that I walked into the Hornady downtown, and I was telling Jason they had 90 employees. Wow. We were just coming with, with uh, pistol bullets at that time, and that was my start with Hornady. But that goes back in talking about how the way things used to be done. We used to do, it was called grassroots. Your father believed in this. And we called on the dealers. We called on the distributors. And we took inventories. We made recommendations. Uh, I called on one distributor who became a very, very large distributor that uh, he didn't keep any records at all. And I went in there one day, and I, I had made up my own inventory cards. And I'm in there doing these inventory cards, and he came over to me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking inventory. He said, well, what's that? I said, those inventory cards. He said, where'd you get those? I said, I made them. He said, don't you show those to anybody. No, because back in those days, it was really hand-to-hand, -hand and you had, it was hands-on, everything. We took inventories, we went in, we wrote orders, we made recommendations, and then 
on the, on the weekends, lots of times, and this came from my old roommate, we worked shoots and we did promotions and we went to there, we went here. And I can remember one, one year that uh, I worked 27 weekends. Oh, boy. Away. At shows or at, at uh, things of this nature. But it, it, the whole business has changed completely now. In fact, it changed in the past five years. You can attest to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainly in the last 10, it's changed. But funny things that I remember Kenny and Charlie Duncan and a couple of the other old, old names that were not old names, but when I was little, they'd all come to town for planning meetings. And so we'd go over to my grandparents and I'd meet all these guys. And that's when you learned that you had to I you know, sleep in his bed. He used to sleep in my bed. <laughs> yeah. but I can remember coming home excited from grade school because Kenny and some of those guys were going to be there. And at one point in time, he and I played kickball out in the yeah. front yard with my grandfather and my father. And I mean, I was six or seven years old and yeah. had all these guys playing kickball with me. And it was like, I thought I was king of the world. Right. That's, uh, that's an interesting perspective. So going back to the, the sales portion of it, uh, you mentioned distributors and dealers. Uh, let's talk through what that looks like. Like I said earlier, you know, you got a guy that buys it at the, at the store shelf. What's the process of getting it from the manufacturer to the store shelf? And well, where do you come it, it'd go for the manufacturer uh, back in those days. It was, it was on both sides. We worked both sides of the fence, really. Okay. But, but we didn't talk about that. We sold some <laughs> people who we didn't want them to know we sold, and we didn't tell this guy we were selling them. And that's the way that thing worked. And we sold the larger dealers or the good, good aggressive dealers. We used to sell them direct. Okay. And then we had the distributors. And we sold in, but still the distributors before, uh, before their computers came into being, uh, you know, we did it all. We'd go in there and, and take, take their inventories. We'd sit down with them. We'd go through this and that. And, and we'd write an order. And then I'd phone the, or phone the order or send it in to mail it in. That's mm -hmm. before we even had fax machines. And then we had fax machines. And then we put it through the fax machine. And that speeded things up a little bit. Yeah. But we still had to do, and I still believe, and some people don't, you got to get out there and do the grassroots and let people know who you are. You don't want to let them forget you. Right. Got to make sure you're there and, 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 and uh, don't fall behind and don't burn any bridges behind you. Yeah. Where's the limit? And part of what, what he's referring to is, is they would go in and sell it to the distributor. Okay. The distributor would bring it in, and then Kenny would have uh, other those of us that were out in the field even more so and our job was to go out and sell it to the dealer for the distributor and so we were kind of doing everything along the way where okay first we sold it for the factory then and and bought it in a lot of cases for the distributor and then we'd go sell it for the distributor to the dealer and then as he mentioned shoots and retail events and then you'd stand at the dealer's shelf and you'd sell it for him oh too wow. so you were working the whole the whole thing the whole chain you, you had the snake from nose to tail really and I know, Jason, you and I talked about this briefly here just the other day. Uh, at the manufacturer level, especially when you're going back into the 60s, 70s with a company like Hornady, you couldn't employ your, a sales staff because no. you didn't have the, the resources. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing for sales reps and, and agencies like, like Sportco and Trebu is we couldn't afford to have 50 guys around the country selling stuff. We, Hornady didn't have the money. I don't know how big was Hornady when you started there. Probably ten million maybe, uh, pro sales. Very small. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. I know, but I think you only had ninety employees. Yeah. Would you remember what year that was? 1969. I can tell you exactly what it was. Yeah. It was December of 69 when I first came out here. 
and we we stayed in the the Texaco was it Texaco Conoco Conoco the Conoco Hotel Motel, motel downtown yeah <laughs> and it was still snow there. on the ground and it's it, still there we wouldn't put him yeah, in that hotel <laughs> no <laughs> no you wouldn't so that's a good point though you get a company of that size growing with a good product and you can't afford to employ like you said 50 or 70 people out there on the road so a company like yours can come in and represent the company along with several others and sell it for the manufacturer to a distributor and then the distributor sells it to the dealer and the consumer goes to the dealer to get the product on the shelf and he would go into his his big customers and he would start with maybe the hornady buyer and then he'd go to the office next to him yeah. and that'd be the bushnell buyer and then he'd go to the office next to him and it'd be the black powder buyer yeah. That's the way, or sometimes the same guy bought several lines. Sure. And we stand here, we work with him for three, four, out, three, four lines. Then we go to the next office and work with him for a while till we get everything done. And uh, that's just, just the way it was. Yeah. Uh, it's not that way anymore. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes not, but a lot more of it's done. Done by the computer, yeah. yeah. But I think it all is probably done with healthy relationships. Oh, and that's what you're really paying absolutely, for. Absolutely, absolutely. Is that's like a, you said, not burning bridges. Don't, don't burn any bridges. Then you, you, you know, it, 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 uh, you get a lot more bees with honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, you do. Than with vinegar. So yeah. one, one of the favorite lines that Kenny used was, don't be careful whose toes you step on today. It's attached to the ass you're kissing tomorrow. Yeah. I, that That's is ingrained a, in my brain. Or the other one is don't 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 criticize the Indian until you walk a mile in his moccasins. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yep. Uh, so you're paying for those relationships and that network to help get your products out there. And so in 1969, much smaller product line, um, not not doing a ton in sales volume comparatively today. Anyway, uh, if you would tell us what was it like in 1969 as a company? What was working with Joyce like? What was kind of the the culture of the company at that time. Well, it was it was a little was a little different. Uh, we, we 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 as I say, we sent our, most of our orders in by mail, and things really happened. And I used to be always on the phone because I always wanted to get stuff. And uh, uh, they had a lady working in the office that it was it didn't make any difference if she you sent in an order for ten boxes, it got put on a pile, and the next order was for five thousand boxes. It, it the five thousand box order didn't get any any priority over the other orders, and right. I didn't think that was right. And we used to have a lot of conversation about that. <laughs> and but uh, and and then uh, of course uh, uh, things things really really changed. The bullet line came along, and we kept adding more and more bullets and getting the uh, the products that these guys developed. And then after uh, after the accident. When uh, your grandfather and the boys went into Lake Pontchartrain, uh, uh, things got kind of uh, uh, kind of crazy because uh, I felt sorry for your dad really at that time because Steve was thrown into a into a complete abyss because he he was all of a sudden had the responsibility of the whole thing on his shoulders, and you you know your grandfather he was the didn't let anybody do anything before he did, you know, or uh, he, he was very conservative. And uh, 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 I, I have to give Steve a tremendous amount of credit and your grandmother, who was a big help in doing that, getting this thing back and putting it on the, uh, on the road that it is today. 
And uh, from there on, I, I, I really, I don't know how to say this, but I think that after your, your dad took over and the things, that's when the growth really came. The growth really started. Uh, you were in the ammunition business with the Frontier Line uh, uh, before, and we sold a lot of it. And the ammunition line, your grandfather used to say, we just want to make enough to make a little money. We don't want to upset anybody. We want, we want, to, we want to do a niche market. Mm. And that's basically where the ammunition thing started. And why did he say that? Because uh, <laughs> it was true. Well, it was true. And he was selling all the other guys' bullets. He was selling all the other guys' bullets, too. We thought about that, too. And uh, the other guys didn't really, didn't really think about it, you know. And uh, after about, uh, uh, I remember one of the, my old Remington guys, uh, in about 1990 or so, after we had, uh, we had really gotten going in the ammunition business and doing, as I say, that niche market, making stuff anybody else didn't want to make or, or ma and making what we had better. Uh, he, uh, I had a cousin who was a district manager for Remington, and he said to me, he says, uh, the boys are saying Cousin Ken is kind of getting into our drawers a little bit here <laughs> because we were, we were selling a lot of ammunition and more than what anybody realized and we were getting it done and they were getting it done by having the best product out there. I mean, this stuff, uh, they used to tell me, you open a box of Hornady and it looks like jewelry. Mm -hmm. What you a compliment. You open a box of some of this other stuff, and it's dull and drab, and and you know that's the, that's the way it went, and things progressed since there, and and here we are today, and doing what you're doing now, and I, you know, it's it's hard for me to believe in coming out here now and looking at what's around us and what's what's happened and what's done, and I retired in two thousand five. Kind of semi-retired. Noticeably the year before I started here. Okay. I think he did that on purpose. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think he ever wanted to work for me. <laughs> no, but I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, he didn't want phone calls coming yeah, the anyway, other way. I got it. Uh, uh, but I, I still did some things after that. I worked for some people and did some other things. But, uh, but essentially, I retired from my, my company in 2005. But uh, uh, looking at things now and seeing things that are going, and when, when I got out and when I left, I knew several of the large distributors that we had that Hornady was the number one metallic line. Now that's hard to say when you had, back in the old days, you had, you had two lines really. You had, you had Remington and Winchester, and then Federal was far behind. Now you look where it is. Now Hornady in many distributors is right at the top of the pile. Yeah. The top of the pile as far as metallics go. And it's because of the hard work all these guys put in. And I, I, I got to give your, your dad a lot of credit for where he came along. And also when you came in, you came in and added new blood and brought the thing on. And, you know, I really wanted that to happen. And I used to call Steve up and say, you know, time you hired Jason. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was another story. But we, yeah. <laughs> you can tell that one when yeah, I'm not sitting yeah. here. Yeah. But, well, uh, there was a lot of product development that, that oh, happened tremendous. in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, in the 80s, you had the XTP bullet, the pistol bullet, the VMAX first-tipped polymer varmint bullet, and what a home run that turned out to be. Absolutely. Oh, boy. And that was fun. And, and Ken, I bet if he called my dad one time about 
those bullets, he called them 2,000 times and wore him out. Well, what were the conversations like? Like, well, you need to make more of these? You need or? to make, you know, you need to make this. You made it. We used to do things, you know. Uh, uh, the rip business used to be, my feeling on the rip business was all, I didn't, when I represented Hornady, okay, when I was in, in, a, in a client's room, I was Hornady. And I was, I was there, there, and everything they passed on to me, and lots of times you, you look and you listen, and you pick up little things out there that they should know. And, that, and I, I don't see the reps today do that. I don't think they go in and they search for answers and try to get things. And because uh, essentially, we're their CIA yeah. in the fly field. Fly on the wall. Right. We're the fly on the wall. And the same thing with shows. Uh, uh, too, many, too many times the guys at shows uh, spend too much time in the, in the bar talking and not listening. I used <laughs> to tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> The, and what he's, t well, where that all started was at that time, Nosler's ballistic tips were just going crazy. Oh, yeah. And it's a good bullet. It's a good bullet. It was oh. a good bullet. Yeah. It was, a, was the best it was then. Mm -hmm. and, and it was sexy and different and we didn't have it. And as there is all, I mean, we used you, to call him up and, uh, and, and finally I said, we're going to, we were going to have a sales meeting. And I think I called Charlie and a couple of the other, other guys in. I said, let's, let's get how much information you have and find out from your major distributors how much of this stuff these guys are selling. So we did, and I got it from, from four of the big distributors I had in my territory at that time. And the, the, the numbers were earth-shattering. Yeah. You know? So we came to the meeting. And you, I think your dad started off the meeting and said, no, we're not going to have a tip bullet. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we started passing the stuff around and gotten, and gotten into the conversation. And, and he, he looked at the numbers. And a month later, we had tip bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Proofs in the pudding. It was and, for the, and the best one out there. Yeah. It was for the wholesale show of 1994. <laughs> and they had them piled up on a table because that was one of the other issues is nobody could get the other brand. And so there was always commentary about, well, you just can't get them. And, well, are you guys going to be able to make them? So they rolled into the show and they had a table about this, this big around. And it was coffee table height. And they had bullets stacked on there. And they gave every customer a box of bullets. And I'll never forget walking around the corner seeing the competitor sales manager holding a box of our bullets. And he was on his cell phone calling back and... Talking, to, I'm pretty sure he was talking to the factory back there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, really, and, and essentially, the first year we murdered him. I yeah. mean, we yeah, we completely we went from here to here, sure. just like this. Yeah, and we actually just uh, released a podcast here just a few weeks ago about the Vmax bullet that really started our polymer tipped line. And now, yep. when you look at our bullet sales and even our ammunition sales. A projectile with a polymer tip is just the right way to do it. And things like the Levolution came along and the, and the yep. uh, absolutely great. Yeah. And th thanks for bringing that up, Ken. Uh, you know, in 1994, 95, 96, we had uh, senior ballistic scientist Dave Emery uh, kind of help spearhead the VMAX line. And then you just mentioned the Lever Evolution line with the FTX bullet, the yep. SST 
You know, Dave really did a lot for our company as far as new product development goes between bullets and cartridges. On the sales side, what was that like seeing Hornady in 1969 with our products that we had then to fast forward to the 90s and 2000s where we had these amazing product developments? What well, was that like? when you when you went in and when you went in in 1969 and in 1970, you were selling a bullet line of what you had, and a lot of people weren't. There was a lot of lead orders, and but they didn't have back in those days. They didn't have the powders. They didn't have the the, the case making technology that we have today, mm -hmm. and didn't have all the stuff we have today. And and uh, you were just selling a product line and trying to convince them to to buy more Hornady bullets. And in essence, nobody else really had anything else uh, except Nosler had the petition. And that was the that was the big thing everybody thought was the the, the best big yeah. game bullet, etc. Remington had a core lock, which was, you know, uh, which was a core lock. And uh, but when all of this new stuff started to come along, you'd get excited and you could go in there to the distributor and show them, look what we got, we got this, look what's happening. And and it just seemed like this stuff came so quickly and on. And uh, you know, the other thing that I, I got to give your dad credit for all going out and getting the engineering staff that he has, and I, which I think is the best in the world, because I got to spend quite a bit of time with some of them when I went to, used to go to Iwa, et cetera, and it, it, it really a great bunch of people, and pe most dedicated bunch of engineers, I think, in the whole industry. Yeah, and when they they talk to them and they talk amongst themselves, they don't talk about girls or golf. They talk about <laughs> shooting, and what's this? A thousand yards? Okay, let's try this. It, and uh, you know, a great bunch of guys. Yeah, and I, I get to give your dad credit for that going out and getting these people and the college project that he had going, and bringing the 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 trainees in in the in the summertime. You still do that? Oh, yeah, we yeah. still do that. That's a great program. We just program. had Alex Hornady in as an yeah, intern. That's yeah, that's a great program. Yeah, he wasn't an intern. Oh, oh, oh. He, he was just a grunt. Okay. Yeah. He'll yeah. be a grunt yeah. again this summer. <laughs> but, um, and I would say that that's not just engineering either. It's our sales agent or our sales group, our marketing group, even manufacturing. You don't, you don't hear him talking a lot about football in the hallways. No, You're no. talking about hunting and shooting and yeah, matches. bullets, new powders, propellants, what's going on. Hey, what about this? What about that? Yep. Yeah. Well, that goes a long way. I, I've worked in several different areas at this company. And what I can say is, echoes just what Jason said, is that in every department I've been in and everyone that I go talk to, we're talking shooting matches, hunting season, uh, tag strategies, trying to get different permits and, you know, thousand yard matches and just all of the things. That's what we come to work and we're passionate about. And that passion, I think, translates to the better products. Well, it's the fact that, you know, when I used to try to tell all of our guys that we had working for us as reps, you got to belong to gun club, you got to shoot, you got to do this. We had the old agency that I belonged to, the main, the main recreation was golf. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I, I talked to Al Minimum from MTM, and we used to do this shoot at the SHOT Show. You, you never got involved mm -hmm. in that. We used, used to have a shoot at the SHOT Show, a sporting clay shoot wherever we were, and we'd go uh, and uh, the sad part about it, more guys that show up for the golf tournament than, than, than the shooting sporting place. And, but that's, that's the way the industry became. And uh, the industry became more influenced by people from outside, I think. 
back in the in the in the fifties and sixties, uh, when I was around the Remington people, and I've been around most around Britain all my life, that they were all interested in that. When they brought, uh, 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 they talk about shooting. You want to shoot? Go shoot skeet. Go shoot trap. Go shoot a rifle. Go shoot. Do this. And uh, uh, the new breed of people that came into the the shooting sports industry weren't of that nature. A lot of them are more interested in playing golf or scuba diving or doing this or doing that. And the I think it's what happened is the auto world found out how much money could be made in the shooting sports. Just <laughs> <laughs> look what happened when when Dupont started sending the paint people and such into the Remington. That that was the demise of Remington as far as I was concerned. Really. So talking about the like you said the demise of Remington, uh, you've you've repped a lot of groups or a lot of companies rather. La, Have la. you seen some? start off like Hornady, for example, that started off relatively small and then grow up to be, you know, a big player? And then what ones have you seen that were big players initially that have maybe uh, gone down? What, what are some of those companies? Look Ithaca, like? U.S. Repeating Arms, uh, uh, gosh, I can't think. Redfield. Redfield. Thompson uh, Center. Thompson Center. Uh, all were major companies in 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 the business, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Thompson Center's all but disappeared. Yeah. Uh, uh, I used to say there was there was three companies that we represented that were had the best product service and were the easiest companies to work for and most reliable, and that was Thompson Center and Hornady and MTM. All. Really, family-owned companies, not owned by a conglomerate. Right. Uh, I suppose there's something yeah. to be said there about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, and the, the loyalty disappears, I think. Sure. Within that time. So I don't know if I should be saying that, but you can, I did, you know. Yeah. Well, you experienced <laughs> it. You lived it. You, and, and uh, you know, and I saw what happened. I saw what happened at U.S. Repeating Arms uh, when uh, uh, we we represented U.S. Repeating Arms when they were still in New Haven and having very difficult problems and uh it was it was a good time for me because of the fact that i visited new haven a lot and i, I used to go through the we go through the factory find stuff find 50 receivers and he'd make those up and sell them to jakeway or or you know make make things happen and uh when they were bought out again and uh the 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 ownership was transferred to another large company. Uh, disappeared. Yeah, and for for just point of clarification, U.S. Repeating Arms was Winchester. Winchester, Winchester yeah, Guns. Winchester, Winchester Guns. Guns. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I can remember being with being having been worked for Remington, and then sitting up there, which I never thought it ever would happen, at the big conference table in New Haven in Winchester, selling Winchester Guns. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. well, let's uh, go back a little bit. You mentioned, we talked about it briefly, Jason came to work for you right out of college. And you knew Jason as a six and seven-year-old playing I knew in the front him, I knew, yard. And I knew him as he grew up. And I said, you know, anybody that can talk to a telephone pole, I said, I'd like to have him work for me. And he went to work for him. The first thing I did with him, we went and did a promotion. You remember that? Mm -hmm. yep. At Advance of Sporting Goods in, in okay. Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's, that's where he got his indoctrination and 
fastest way to learn your product line is at a consumer that's promotion. That's right. That's exactly oh, yeah. right. Because the consumer doesn't care about well, you, you know, your brand. If they you don't, if you don't know want. it, he'll tell you. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, some of the other learning experiences were the time we spent at the Grand American. Grand American. Also in Nelsonville in at Nelsonville, an archery shoot. At the arch- oh, boy. Yeah. But I used to have to go work trap shoots for Canon. We would reload shotgun shells. And- oh, boy. On the 366? Yep. yep. Yep, and the Apex. And the Apex, okay. too. Yeah. The Apex, you know. And uh, uh, the Grand American was really a, uh, that was a fun experience and a learning experience because you had uh, uh, about 120,000 people come through a small concentrated area in 10 days. And it was really, you know, it was fun. It was, it was a good fun. time. I used to call it the biggest shooting flea market in the world. And that's exactly <laughs> what it was. Because everybody was there, and you knew everybody, and everybody got along together. And, uh, and it isn't that way anymore since they moved it moved it out of there. Sure. It's, uh, everything is so spread out. You don't you could be there a week and not see anybody. You know. You met every kind of consumer at those things. Yep. You met the nice and easy to do business with, and then you met the one who brought in a reloader that he'd taken a hatchet axe to. Axe I remember yeah. that. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, yeah. That's a real story. Oh, oh yeah. it's a real I story. Taking axe to it, mm-hmm. and we had a we. we uh, Redid the building one time, and uh, uh, the first thing that I insisted on us doing there was putting in a mirror that was a one-way glass so we could be in the office in the back and see who came in <laughs> if we didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> Send somebody else out. Somebody well, you, always knew, you always knew that you were in trouble when all of a sudden you looked around and every single coworker is not standing yeah. on the floor with you, and here came that guy. Uh, like, oh, no. But we used, you really used to get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the year we did the popcorn. You remember (laughs) that? (laughs) Go ahead. Well, we we decided, Steve decided that one year we wanted to do something to bring people in the building, okay? Because I had done a promotion the year before, I think, where we we represented accurate powder at that time. And two days a week, we gave away free half pounds of accurate powder. And we started at our building. We had lines that were 200 yards long. Yeah. And so, all right, so we're going we're gonna to give away popcorn. So your dad must have sent in 20 bags, big bags. 50-pound bags. 50-pound bags of popcorn from somebody out here. Hell, they might have been 100-pound. I don't know how big they were. Uh, they were heavy. Anyway, so, and we rented a popcorn machine. So we were going to, you were going to, we were going to find somebody to, to uh, uh, run the popcorn thing and do the popcorn thing. And all of a sudden, and what did you, you had somebody lined up and they didn't show up? Mm-hmm. We had a couple of cute girls from Columbus that didn't show up. So the cute girl that was running the popcorn machine was Looking him. Good. And then we got a, a young boy to do it. I can't, I can't remember what that kid's name yeah, was. I don't remember. His father was a shooter. Okay. And he came by. But now here's the doubt. The popcorn went over absolutely great. Who doesn't love the smell of free popcorn? But, I bet that brought and a lot they of people, were people in. All After the post- second day, ATA management was down talking to us because there was popcorn from one end of the to the other. <laughs> That's true. Almost but, like a polite oh, cease and desist oh, kind of deal. Oh, boy. But, uh, but we, really, we gave away the popcorn. We gave away a lot of popcorn. Uh, we gave away a lot of popcorn. And, and I think... I gave popcorn to everybody in, in Madison County, and we, we still had some left over. Yeah. 
That was the unpopped popcorn. We yeah. had so much. Pop, pop, we oh, popped yeah. it right there. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's how I learned how to clean a popcorn machine, which I hope to never do again. No, no. Uh, aside from Jason being able to talk to a telephone pole, what are some other redeeming characteristics or, or was it was work ethic or his character that drew you to him to help mold as, as a sales? I, I am sitting right here. You yeah. Know. That, well, you know, he, he, that's his words, to be a mine. salesman, you got to be able to talk to people. And you got to be able to fairly understand people and know when to, when, to, when to get mad and when not to get mad. And to, as I say, don't burn any bridges behind you. And even if you get really ticked off at somebody, you're best to hold that back. Because I, I can tell you a story about one of, one of uh, Pacific's former employees and a former employer here at one time that... Uh, and Harley Bear, do you know that story about mm -hmm. Del Grimm? Mm -hmm. About Del Grimm uh, saying he'd never work, work again for, for, uh, for Harley Bear. And when he, when he left here, that's who he went to work for. Huh. You're going to have to back up on that story a little bit because okay. nobody here knows what yeah. Bear well, that is. Was the well, old, I know Bear. That was the old, the old when Pacific went, when, Joyce bought Pacific, yeah, Pacific which was, I thought tools. was great, you know. Yep. And brought it in here and had Bob Dietemar, uh was running it, et cetera. And uh, uh, when Bob left, they brought uh, uh, Del Grimm in. I believe this is right. This is all pre-Jason. And Del, Grimm's fit, 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 Del Grimm won the Grand American one year. And... Uh, 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 but he had said he I had worked several promotions with him, and uh, he when he he came here and was working here. I'll never forget when we first got the the, the tool line, and we could we weren't selling tools. We were back in then the shot show was big reloading thing, and uh, I went to Paul Wamas, and I said Paul we need to do something to get this thing going, and he says okay. Get me an extra five percent, and I'll take a hundred machines. Well, <laughs> that blew their mind, <laughs> <laughs> and I I sent the order in, and I soon got a phone call from Doug Grimm. Want to know what I was doing? I was destroying the the distribution. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. But anyway, that's when we really got the three sixty six off the ground and really going, and we sold a lot of loaders. We used to sell 100 loaders at the Great American. Wow, just at the Grand American? Yeah, yeah. just at the Great American. And we always ran a little promotion with them and uh, 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 gave away a, a, a jacket, or uh, one year we gave away, uh, uh, we also, you also represented West Coast Lead at the time, yeah. and I got Pete to make up little five pound bags of shot, and uh, I, I, I got on, I got Remington to give us uh, a, a big tub of cases, mm. and I asked Winchester for them, and that's another story too. But, <laughs> uh, anyway, we gave away 50 empty, 50 once reloaded hills, a hunt box of 100 primers, which Remington gave us, and uh, a bag of Hornady wads, which you had wads at the time, and a bag of shot. You bought a loader, you brought your receipt down. And we checked it off and gave you a starter kit. Wow. And, oh, yeah, it's probably easy to move loaders. With oh, that boy, kind of we incident. sold a lot of loaders. Yeah, yeah, a lot of loaders doing that way. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but it was fun to waste yeah. a lot of fun there. Sounds, you know, listening to these stories over the last little bit here, sounds like a lot of working in that environment as, at that level of sales, you have to be creative. And you you, you have to you gotta, you gotta be creative. You got to do some things. You have to, you know, uh, do something else that nobody, uh, nobody has done before. Or uh, we used to do a beer promotion at times too. When that, I wasn't there for that one either. <laughs> oh. I wasn't there for the really fun ones. Yeah, the funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, and then we we coupled. I coupled Hornady with uh, one time with Ten X, and we gave away a. a Tom Carlson gave us a, a, a he gave us a jacket or something for, for uh, if you bought a hundred loader. Or, yeah, we did jackets. Yeah, we did yeah. shooting vests. We yeah, did. shooting vests, and we had a whole lot of things we did. But you had to have something to draw the people in, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, but and we were fortunate because a lot of the people that we were working on the other side of it, our competitors, didn't do that. Sure. And you know what? That was back that. to your creativity. Yeah, yeah that moved the needle. Yeah, it moved the needle just a little bit, you know. And uh, but uh, there's a lot of things in the business that used to happen that don't happen anymore that were a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I know we used to be tired at, after the Grand American. We're glad to get out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, you thought if you your face would break if you made one more smile. Yeah, <laughs> schlepping lots of bags of shot and lots of loader. Well, you mentioned uh, Doug Derner early in the podcast, or uh, yeah, earlier in the podcast, and. I sat beside Doug and learned a lot from him in the years. And if I ever had a question about a 366 or a customer called in and this was going on, what do you think this is? You didn't even have to yeah. wonder who to go to. You could just go ask Doug and he would, oh, yep. He rebuilt them, loaded on them. Yep, at the he Grand spent American. a lot of time. And, you know, I used to say I, I knew as much about the 366 as anybody. And I, I still, I get phone calls. Yeah, people tell yeah. me, come fix the loader. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, I, believe this or not, I still get people bringing me 1100s to fix. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so the whole deal, too, is at the Grand American, and we're talking about that more than I ever thought we would because I've tried to forget it. But uh, <laughs> the whole program was if you bought a loader and you brought it to the Grand American, we'd service it for you. Oh, sure. And so what would happen is we'd have loaders stacked up, and as soon as the chute closed and we'd roll the front door down, We'd all stand in the back and fix loaders Ooh. until midnight. You know, there might have been a, a beer or two while we chicken were working on chicken sanders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. chicken sanders, Kentucky and Fried Chicken, and some beers, and all hands on deck fixing loaders because we'd have fifty of them. We'd at have time. fifty, yeah. sixty loaders at a time. Yeah. Oh wow! And, and that was for ten days. Yeah, really, uh, not bulletproof, but I mean that that unit, such a a, a well built machine, uh, it can still yeah. Well, it needs there there, loads there are seat, some people that should never put their hands on a loader. <laughs> yeah. <Trust me>. yeah. <laughs> the, the problem was never the machine. It was the person operating the machine sure. usually. We used to get some of them and we'd tell them to take it down to the car wash before you bring it in here. Wow. Well, it sounds like you guys spent a lot of time together doing some, some fun stuff before the digital age kind of changed yes, some yes. of the relationships and the networking. Um, Ken, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Jason has referred to you internally as, as one of his strongest mentors. What do you think uh, are some of the biggest lessons that Jason learned from you? Well, one thing I, I think he learned, he learned a little bit that, that one of the things that we had with Jason was J Jason, Jason wanted to run things. 
most of the time, okay? When that was fine. But it all happened. One of the biggest problems I had, Jason went to work for me, was working for me for two weeks. And it was a very difficult thing for me to do. And Steve called me up, and he wanted to take Jason on a hunting trip. Mm. And I said, Steve, I said, you know, uh, he said, I know this is very difficult. I said, Steve, I can't do that. If I, I, I got, I got uh, 15 other guys, it, you know, what am I going to tell them? So that got by the board. And then one, do you remember this? One time when Accusport had their deal going, and we were with the Grand American, and your, your dad was, was, came in for this festivities Accusport had, and he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't go because it was either he, I go or he go, and I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is one of the times I got my ass. He got well, no, he didn't. <laughs> By both did my dad it. and Kenny, he got upset with me because of that. But I will tell you this: I don't know whether the next morning he came down to me and he, he said, "I'm sorry. I guess I didn't realize what was happening." And I was out of place. And that, that's Jason. Yeah. That's, you know. And w- my wife and I always looked at, looked at Jason as kind of the son we didn't have anyway. So. But it's been a really, really good relationship throughout the years. And yep. Jason will tell you about my wife was another different kind of a person. And uh, this is, this is co- Easter Sunday coming up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's you know, right. You know, where, you, know where, you know where my daughter and I are going? You're going to that same? We're going on a picnic at the Scout Club. Yep. We're going fishing. It's <laughs> a good way to And that's been tradition in our family. We, sit, we always went on a picnic on Easter Sunday. So that had to be 1993. And you have to understand that Linda, who's, again, she was a surrogate mother to me. I lived with them. And when I moved out and got my first apartment, she was the one with me. But we were going on an Easter picnic. And I had to drive. It was about 30 miles from where I lived to where they lived. And I drove out there, and I knew that I'd better, A, be there, be there on time. Mm-hmm. And, B, I knew the weather was horrible, and there was no way we were going on a picnic. 25 degrees. It's snowing. <laughs> no one blowing. It's snowing. Ohio. Ohio. And I pull in, and I'd left my coat in the car, and I walked in the door, and she said, where's your coat? Well, it's in the car. And she said, well, you're going to need it. I said, what? And she looked at both of us and she said, I said, we're going on a picnic. He had, we're going he, on a picnic. He had tennis shoes on. <laughs> I had tennis shoes on. So I got him a pair of boots. Yeah. And another a co- insulated vest, I think, and a coat. And we went down to clear down to Stogon, Ohio, in a, in a state park. We had to place all of ourselves because nobody, nobody else was crazy enough to be out there. <laughs> and we built a fire. And I don't remember what we had, but we With chicken cooked, wings. Chicken, we mm-hmm. cooked, and we, we had a picnic and a, and a bottle of wine. I think we had a martini before and, and did the, the whole thing. And Never forget it. <laughs> Never forget it. Never forget it. it. That sounds pretty miserable. You were going on a picnic whether you wanted to go on a weird. Uh, yeah. She said we're going on a picnic, and that's what we were going to do. That's not the first time we did that. No, we did it a bunch. Oh, boy. Mm. That sounds, you know, just those couple stories, it sounds like. Just being in that environment, a young man would pick up maybe some humbleness and uh, some grit from the sounds of it. Well, and one of the things he did, which he, he never really has admitted, but I was 22 years old, and the next closest guy in age to me in our company was 48. 
So, and he didn't live there. So his solution of keeping me out of trouble was every Saturday morning and every Sunday morning, okay, meet me at this gun club. I'll meet me at this gun club. Be there at eight. And if you weren't there at eight, you started, you got the look when you Mm -hmm. pulled up. But he knew that would keep me out of trouble on Friday and Saturday night, too. Recoil and hangovers don't work very well. No, they do not. It was great times. We had a lot oh, of fun. We had a yes, lot of we fun. did. Yes, indeed. And 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 I still, you know, uh, people say to me, well, "You you're still doing that?" And I still I shoot sporting clays mostly every every Sunday morning. Good for you. And uh, during the uh, from October to uh, uh, to the first of April, I hunt pheasants every every Monday morning with a, c- a couple of guys, and then now. I'll start fishing every Monday morning, and sometimes on Wednesday I'd go fishing anyway during the fall. I, I fished all fall, all, all winter. Yeah. We fished in the snow up there. Got to. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's, that's such a, an, a testament to what we talked about with Hornady, where our engineering team and our marketing exactly team, everybody's right. exactly. passionate about it, and you carry that from the time you were shooting squirrels in the, in the back 40 to 90 years old, still yep. out there getting after it. That's amazing. Jason, I want to ask you that same question that we kind of heard what Ken thinks, you know, lessons you might have learned as a young man from him. What do you think you learned most from Ken as a mentor? Well, the, you, I learned a lot of things. Uh, yeah. One of them was you had, to, you had to go work hard. And, and if you, it's not hard to outwork your com- competition, but you have to do the work. Right. And there were some jobs that I did not want to do. And, um, there were some scenarios I'll never forget. One of the promos I worked, um, I had a guy. It was one of the very first ones. I had had a guy walk in and he wanted a box of a competitor's bullet. I was working the bullet bar, and I did everything I could to convince him to buy another one, a red uh, one, a red one by ours. And uh, pretty soon here came here came Ken Berger and and Rich Vanth, and I got a stern correction on, you know what. Those may have come from that factory, but they're not your bullets. They're my bullets, meaning that was Rich Vance who said it. And mm-hmm. He was right there with them. And you're here to help us sell our bullets. It doesn't matter what's on the box. You're here to help us sell. And that was a, a humbling thing that you, you have to learn. And the only way you're going to sell more of yours is if you come up with ways to make it better. And, and his point and, and another mentor of mine was always, Make it as easy for the customer as you can. Mm-hmm. You make it easy for the customer, he'll like you more. That's true in a lot of facets, not just for the customer, not, but yep. for, for all those relationships that we talked about in that whole sales chain. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you're selling a box of bullets or tires or, you know, make it easy to buy stuff and you'll sell more. Make it easy. Bullets are more fun to sell than tires. Oh, I think it's been a hoot. We've had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. you guys, So you only worked directly for Ken for... What, five, four or five years? Five years. Yeah. Five years, yeah. Five years, and obviously did a lot of, a lot of shooting, a lot of selling, probably a lot of traveling in those five years. Um, where did you go from there? And then while you weren't working directly for Ken, that relationship, I'm guessing, stayed pretty close. Oh, yeah, very close. So the funny part, and he, he didn't chew my ass on this one, although I think he wanted to, but it didn't take very long as a manufacturer's rep to decide you wanted to be – I was a junior rep, so I was doing more field work um, and met lots of sales managers. 
it didn't take very long to realize that I thought I could probably do better than a lot of the sales managers that were out there. So I got my list, my name on a list. Specifically, I called one of his friends and another rep, and I said, the guy who's the sales manager at Thompson Center, uh, or I, I think I, what I said was, I want the sales manager's job at Thompson Center. And this comes back to what Ken said about how I always want to be in charge. That's true. Um, I said, I want that job. And Charlie Duncan said, well, I don't think it's open. And I said, it should be. Well, part of this is I also knew that Ken was telling the boss of Thompson Center that he needed a new sales manager. And uh, they offered me the job. And I went to tell him I was going to take the job. And it was another, my father, who's the, you know, you've now covered my three mentors, said, you make sure you go talk to your existing boss before you make a decision like that because you don't know what his plans are, which was sage advice. Mm-hmm. And so I went to talk to him and tell him I was planning on leaving and he talked me out of it and he didn't talk me out of it in a negative way at all. He went through, here's, here's what we're going to be doing here and here's what it's really like up there. And I don't think that's the right place for you. And I believe him to be true. And it was true because that if you'd have went to work up there under the, under the existing circumstances up there, it'd have been a disaster. Yeah. It'd have been problems for you and him and everybody else. Yeah. So, uh, so I called a friend of mine and told him what to say and got him hooked up with Kenny. And so Greg Ritz ended up being the yeah. sales manager at Thompson center. And, uh, oh, a couple years later, I went to work for Redfield rifle scope. And, um, that is the, actually, I did get Kenny to come rep our line for a short period yes. of time, but that's when Redfield went bankrupt. And, yeah. <laughs> which is a, Fantastic experience to go through in business. It was a, well, it was a good experience for you though, because it, it ended up as he learned a lot there. Sure, he learned a lot, yeah, a learned lot. a whole heck of a lot. Probably and, you didn't know, feel like it at the time. Yeah, it hurt, but but you also learned that you never want to go through it again. No, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. No. What was it like on the manufacturer's rep side, uh, repping a company that was trying to stay afloat and eventually uh, wasn't? Um, how was that moving those well, products? Well, you, you just had to accept it. You couldn't, you, you realized there's nothing you could do about it. Rep agencies, when you're in a rep agency, you're always in a very precarious situation. You're always a, a sit, sitting on the, on, the, on the fence because you never know what's going to happen. And we had it happen several times with, with the U.S. repeating arms was bought out. Uh, we had people at promotions, promoting had had guy over to shoot over in Illinois, and they called us up and fired us because uh, they had been bought out. Mm-hmm. And the company that bought them out said they didn't need us anymore, and you're gone. And that has that that has happened so many times with lines. Many many times you have a line one day, and all of a sudden they decide they get bought out, and the parent company will do their own thing, want your own. And then lots of times you'll you'll have a line that you'll pioneer and get really going and it grows really big. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the people with the company look to say, well, we're paying these guys too much money, even though we're making a lot off and so they fire you. And that's, <laughs> that happens more than once with some, some big companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it always ends up, generally ends up as a mistake. Uh, uh, but, you know, but there's not many companies out there like Hornady. It's a solid and was always in. 
And we we had with the old company that I that was I was with before I formed the we formed our own company. Uh, uh, we had a guy there who at one time tried to talk us into into resigning Hornady because he thought we were spending too much time with it. But we didn't have another company that that paid us on more on time and caused us less trouble and was easier to sell. And as I just said, you know, and I, you know who I'm talking about. That's the yeah, easy decision. We're going to keep. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, the growth of Hornady has been phenomenal. And uh, I wish I had been able to. Uh, if my wife hadn't gotten sick, I wouldn't have retired in 2005. I, I've actually tried to call him back a couple times. And yeah. He won't do it. <laughs> but he's got, he's got pheasant a, hunting and fishing. He's, he's, he's a busy guy. Yeah. So, I, I, I've been so fortunate that. In my life, my avocation became a vocation. And I feel I've been very, very fortunate in being able to do that. And I'm going to keep on doing as, what I'm doing as long as I can, as long as the, my one foot will go in front of the next one. Tell them the biggest order you ever wrote. Biggest order you ever wrote. Okay. And it wasn't a Hornady order. <sighs> Hell, I know this story. Uh, is the one about Shimano? Nope. Oh, uh, also started with an H. Uh, uh, Humbert, yeah. Okay, so fishing equipment. It was fifty million dollar Humbert order. What yeah. year was this? Yeah. Uh, it was about nineteen. This is something. This is what a tribute fired you know from Plano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, must have been about nineteen. 87. Wow. Pre-Jason. Yeah. But I don't remember what Humminbird had some new product. Yeah. We had, they, they were the first ones with a really good fish finder. Yep. That you could really tell what was going on. Right. And they were, they were a young company and uh, came out of nowhere and made a tremendous amount of money. And uh, uh, at that time, uh, we were for fortunate enough to get the line and uh, at Outdoor Sports, I wrote a $15 million order. That's impressive. In 1987, the, I, yeah, mean, yeah. I don't know what the translation rate is, but it's yeah. in 2023, it's, yeah, that that's was huge. The, it was big. Yeah. And the, the customer he wrote it for was called Outdoor Sports Headquarters. Yeah. They were the largest outdoor distributor at the time. Okay. In the, in the, in the country. There was, in the world. Nobody was even close yeah. as a second. They lo locations in, in everywhere, West Coast, Texas. Pennsylvania, everywhere, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Wow. So as a manufacturer's rep with all these lines and with as much experience as you had in the outdoor industry, you probably had a lot of influence on the industry as far as what products you would recommend. And you could probably, you know, almost help grow these companies uh, as an extension of the company. Well, I used to like to think that we did. And, and, and I was always asking questions. Whenever we're in a, in a, called on a, a buyer or a dealer or went in there, and we talk about different things. Oh, look at this. Boy, that's pretty good. Where'd you get that? Okay, what, what's that doing? What, how much of this is selling? What are you doing with it? What do you think is that? What do you think we need? What do you think? And fr from that conversations, I, I, I used to come up and I used to call your dad up and sometimes write him letters and ask for like things like, you need to get into the black powder bullet business. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't I don't think they realized at that time 
uh, b before uh, 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 before you got into the, how much money was to be made in that, and also uh, uh, the tip bullet thing was another thing which we previously discussed, and uh, shotgun slugs uh, didn't realize how big of how how big of an industry that was, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden and but uh, and I gotta gotta give the Hornady folks credit they put their guys to work on it and in very short times. After they decided that maybe this was worthwhile, after all, uh, we had a shotgun slug, and, and eventually we had probably the best one out there. And, and uh, this is the way that the, the thing is going all the way down down the line, from the uh, 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 some of the exotic cartridges that came out. Uh, I was in Ac in Accusport one time, and we were look they were look showing me some some ammunition that they'd gotten in uh, from Federal that was. Uh, which maybe you shouldn't have mentioned them. That was That's made right. in Australia. Uh, who was made? What's that called? Winchester. Winchester had no. Well, maybe that time was federal. Federal had, okay. and they were uh, 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 five hundred nitros and four eighties. Oh yeah, and that big stuff. And this stuff was terrible. I mean, it looked like it, it was looked awful. Didn't even look rough. Didn't even look good. And I said, you, we, you need to get into that. And that was niche stuff. And then, they, then they did. And, uh, and, and as I said, people looked at it, and it looked like jewelry. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just one of the things that they did. And, and the, the progression, the, 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 uh, your guys with the 6.5, that was the most. I, I was, uh, you guys used to supply me. I started loading the 6.5 a long time ago. Uh, we started with the 6.5-284, and I found the hotter I loaded it, the better it shot for the most part. But then along came your guys and the, and the 6.5 Creedmoor, and boy, best thing growing out there. Now you see them everywhere. It's kind of common. You now know? It's, and, yeah, it's and That's just an example of some of the, some of the things that happened. And, and it used to be on the, you remember the time we did the, we finally got your dad to make the adjustable primer, Primer cedar for the 366, mm -hmm. and he said it'd never sell. He brought 50 of them to the grand, and we sold them the first day. <laughs> and it just, and, but they did listen and did yeah. make things and make adjustments on things. And, and it was, you know, that's, that's a good relationship with a good company. Yeah, that is a good relationship when you yeah. have people out there in the field that are passionate about using the product, not just selling it. And then you have a company that is also interested in making the better product. You got to walk to walk and talk to talk. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. Jace, is there anything else that we, while we have Ken here, that we need to pin him down and, and get out of him? I think you've pinned it. Well, there's, there's so many more stories to sure. hit you with. But uh, no, I think you got a pretty good background on one of the industry greats. Yeah. Well, and it's such a, a cool uh, insight and, and a really neat perspective, seeing things from, you know, in the 50s and 60s to how they've progressed and uh, you're still, you know, active and active in the industry till, you know, just a few years ago. And that's, that's a pretty unique insight because it's getting, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller, the amount of people that have that, that passion that stayed involved for that long. I think you're right. People don't, well, you said the right thing, the, the passion for it. Mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, this been my life, you know, I said my, my avocation became a voc my vocation. Yeah, and it all started with shooting barrels with a Daisy air rifle, yep. and that 
I think there's a lot of us that started our passion yes. in the outdoors with the North American Songbird Slam. Oh, yeah, there's, amen. And there's very few people out there now that can say that he had the same kinds of conversations with my grandfather and then my father and with me. And, you know, it's when Ken talks, you, you better listen. And I will tell one funny story about, about Kenny, then, then I'll let it go. But Ken used to come out and pheasant hunt with us. Oh, yeah. And we would be up with Doug Derner and my dad and several other guys. And I'll never forget the first time we were getting out of the car. My dad looks at me, grabs me, says, you see that old man move your gun? You shoot first. It's <laughs> because Kenny could shoot so fast that you weren't going to get a chance to shoot. And, and he was right. And there wasn't, you, you had to be pretty quick on a bird to, to outshoot Ken. Yep. You see that old man move his gun? You shoot. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ken, one of the things that I've I kind of picked up on throughout our conversation is when you would refer to Hornady and some of our product developments, you oftentimes refer to it as we. You included yourself there as part of the company, and I feel like well, I, I, that's, that, that's, that you means know, a I, lot. I guess I did that on purpose, and I, yeah. as I said, I always felt that when you, when you worked for a company, you, you represented them, and you were, you you were, were they at that particular time. Absolutely. And, uh, and, of course, on the other hand, there's several companies, these guys are one of, that made you feel part of it. Awesome. And that's, that's another thing. That's, that's part of it, too. And uh, uh, I could tell a couple of the stories about coming back from Denver in the <laughs> maybe a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, where I was going with that was it, it. It is a family. It's a it's a small it's industry a, as a whole, a, but it's a great industry. And yeah. if, you know, and uh, uh, I'm so happy to have been able to be part of it. And it, and I'm you know I'm never going to give up what I'm doing. As I say, awesome. Well, as, as a representative of the company, I can tell you we appreciate you. everything you've done for us, obviously, for years past and what you're doing for us now. And we really do appreciate it. And we've obviously benefited greatly uh, mm -hmm. on, because of everything that you've done. Appreciate you. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Everyone out there, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast, catching up with a legend in the industry, somebody that's been instrumental for us as a company, Kenny Berger. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you on the next one.